Hello, I'm Edgar Papke. And I'm Ken Sagendorf. Welcome to True Alignment. True Alignment Podcast. Where we have conversation about all things alignment. And as always, we're coming to you from... The Innovation Incubator in the Anderson College of Business and Computing at Regis University in Denver, Colorado. Welcome to all of you out there. And uh, as we like to uh, share with you, all thoughts, questions, comments, anything at all regarding alignment and what we, uh, what we dialogue about here in the podcast, please uh, share your thoughts with us and um, we'll respond to you in, in the best way that we can. Yeah. Live audience today. Thank you for being here. <laughs> and we'll see if any questions come out of the live audience. We're planning in the future on broadcasting from the uh, Student Center right along, along Big Common here uh, in a beautiful campus of Regis University down here in Denver. It's just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, for those of you that have been out here, you, you know how beautiful this campus is. So our conversation today is, a, is really um, intended to take a look at really what is the journey to alignment and what does that look like? And under the idea, and we were talking about this right before we started the podcast, is this idea of how difficult at times the pursuit of alignment and being in the journey can be. And the idea that it's not always easy being me or being you. It's not always easy to be ourselves and to be aligned and to, to experience life this lens of at times being fearless and being able to confront our fears and find our path to, to alignment. It's, it's really at times about making difficult decisions about or the choices that we have about relationships, a relationship to ourselves. So Edgar, you're, you're all business today. Um, you're right <laughs> into it, right? No, uh, no, no uh, chit chat and small well, talk here. Well, something uh, something that's uh, interesting is uh, last Saturday I turned 65, and um, the big question that came to my mind is what I'm gonna what what am I really gonna do with the next 30, 40 years of my life? Yeah, we were planning to sing you happy birthday, but no one wants to hear that. But happy In, birthday, including me, <laughs> including you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh-huh. You know, every every Monday. Um, we meet for a little while before we get on the air and we have a conversation about uh, what's going on, what's going on in life. Yeah. Um, you know, I was sharing a little bit about my uh, daughter's journey to choosing a college next year. You were sharing about a neighbor that lost her husband. Yeah. 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 Dear Andy, uh, a next door neighbor who um, it, it, remarkably he had been, Ever since, ever since they moved into the neighborhood and moved in next door, uh, became our neighbors. Um, he'd always uh, struggled physically, um, always walked with a cane, and some days he looked like he was doing better than others. And remarkably, um, always, always kind and thoughtful, and um, never seemed to let on if he was having a bad day or not. He just, he just kept at it, and. I, I think my memory of him will be, along with the kindness and thoughtful manner in which he engaged, engaged others, um, 
remarkable depth of courage uh, that must have have uh, guided and and helped to align him to who who he was. Yeah. So uh, I'm sorry. Um, Thank you, you. You were sharing a story. You were sharing a story, and here's we'll we'll make the connection between choosing colleges and death of a neighbor here in a minute. But um, you you were sharing the story of so so what do we do? How do we how do we support Anne? And um, and what do we do? You want to share a little bit of that story because um, this is really where this conversation came from today. Yeah, because we don't really know. Um, we don't know what what we need from one another at times, and especially in these situations where uh, it's more difficult than others, where we can feel um, grieving, pain. Um, so how do we care for one another, and how do we do that in a way that responds to the needs of someone? I, I mean, the, e- the easy answer is to ask. Yes. Right? To ask <laughs> and to bring the expectations into the spoken realm. But uh, uh, my wife Lori and I, we're, you know, what do we do? We want to send flowers, and and we'd like to do something that's comforting. And we couldn't, we don't, we didn't quite know what that would look like. And so my, so Lori went to get flowers and a card, and um, we shared some thoughts in the card about our experience of Andy. And she wound up getting a gift card. She wound up getting a gift card with the idea that uh, Anne could do whatever she wanted with with it. And so immediate the thought went, if, if there's any kind of comfort food or anything that she really wanted to to get, and, and still the question is, is that, is, is, is that meaningful? It's, it's, sometimes, it's sometimes difficult to know. Well, I, you know, I appreciate the story, and I, I think you shared that Lori asked you if we should make a pot of soup, and, you know, you wondered if that was a little hokey, and I, you know, I shared when my dad died, uh, my entire <laughs> mom's side of the family's Italian, and we got about 14 trays of baked ziti. Yeah. <laughs> You're right, because everybody, everybody makes you food. Like, that's the, that's kind of an expectation, and that's yeah. really how we got on this conversation of expectations. Yes, so here's, let me connect the dots with, with, with my daughter's journey to finding a college. I think that she's afraid, she's afraid of making the wrong choice uh, on multiple fronts. She's afraid of choosing a college that is not recognizable enough that will help her in her career mm-hmm. and stand for something. Um, as she's trying to find out who she is, she wants part of that college to be part of her. I also think she's really reluctant to talk to her mom and me because she's afraid that we have an expectation of her. Right? So it's all, and this is, I think, how we got into this conversation today because we were talking about the expectations. um, And we don't, you know, we know we want to be comforting in that time of a passing, uh, passing friend, passing neighbor, passing family member. But I think it gets confusing. Like we, we want to say, we we see this. We care for you. We're here for you. Yeah. We want to help comfort you. And then the conversation is, but what do they want and what do they expect? Yeah. And and that's really, I think, you know, part of how we got into this conversation today was the idea of, and that's why we said, you know, it's not easy being you or me 
because there's a little bit of a, a disconnect at times that we experience in our lives. Yeah, and the disconnect is, um, I think we've already described it during one of the previous podcasts, is the stick figure. And you surround yourself with all the different messages around expectation. And so much of our lives uh, and what can cause a tremendous, I think, tension internally around the expectations that we set for ourselves and what can get in the way of alignment is this idea of trying to please others. Whether you might even think of it as codependency or um, just the idea that we let go of ourselves to a certain extent to please others because we know the messaging the messaging of pleasing others is that we're good and that makes us feel good. Unfortunately, that's always that's not always in alignment to what we really want. And eventually what can happen is the expect, and this is, has a great deal to do with our experience of life ever since we're little kids, is that the expectations we set for ourselves and what we think is alignment is actually aligning to other people's expectations and that constant messaging that comes at us to the point where those could actually be divergent from who we really are so that we live a, a lot of our choices that we're making and a lot of decisions and the paths, part of the paths that we choose are um, counter to being uh, self-accepting and really being true to ourselves. Yeah, it's interesting because the way that we are, we're presented with an idea that it's heroic. It's heroic to align to self, right? Somebody resist all of these things, right? I mean, I, who, who could we point to as, as examples of how heroic this is, right? I mean, in business, maybe a Richard Branson or an Elon Musk, right? I mean, all these messages that, yeah. um, you know, it's not, this is not how we should do things, but they're successful. So we point to how heroic those efforts are to kind of be your quirky, unique self. Yeah. And that they're often tied to whatever our definitions of success are. So that when we uh, get up in the morning and we and we uh, we pursue different goals and objectives in our lives and in our businesses and in our work, um, how if if being ourselves is tied to different definitions of success, how aligned are those definitions to who we are, or is it just again in the context that we're in the definitions that others present to us? Yeah. Uh, Edgar, you were teasing me a little bit today when I came in, um, and this has happened. My my life. Have I teased you? Well, yes, that's ha <laughs> that's happened also. <laughs> but uh, you know, my life here at Regis, um, the commentary about what I wear on a day to day basis, oh. mm -hmm. it's just always been kind of funny. And so today, you're like, "Hey, Ken, what are you dressed up for?" Yeah, yeah, a nice a pair of really dress slacks and a really. Pretty, pretty nice shirt, and it looks like it's been pressed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Starched on the collar. So you just got the message from Edgar what I normally look like. <laughs> well, typically, all right. Uh, um, comfortable pants, if not jeans. Typically, you're wearing a vest of some kind because that seems to be your trademark, and you were, you were out of the norm today. Uh, you are. And it's really interesting because as I, as I saw you, I thought to myself, well, now he looks like 
kind of everyone else that's kicking around here. And that uniqueness that you carry, that, that uniqueness and outgoing nature that's yours, uh, just wasn't as evident in your appearance. And yeah. it just struck me as, as, is that the real Ken? Constant battle, right? I mean, I'm it trying is. to figure out who the hell the real Ken is, frankly. And, you know, yeah. this idea of what I expect for myself versus, you know, what others expect of me, mm-hmm. right? I mean, whether I, whether I like it or not, uh, other people will treat you differently because you are dressed differently. Yeah. And so what can we expect from that? And what is our expectation then in terms of, um, and I'm going to tie this back now to this idea of success, because uh, success can come in different forms. And how we understand ourselves and what motivates us becomes quite important. So is success by definition fitting in? And very early on when we first engage, uh, say we join an organization or we're a new member of a team at work, it's kind of like the first question is, how do I fit in? You know, that goes back to when we've had this conversation about cultures and finding a seat on the bus. Well, what about getting on the bus in the first place? So that first, that first moment when I step on the bus, what does that feel like as everybody's, you know, looking to the front of the bus to see who's getting on? Um, and we become so conscious of it so immediately. So there's the fitting in. Then there's a the definition of success of, you know, how good am I at what I do and how does that show up? And is, is, is there evidence in my physical uh, self-concept and the way I express myself that evokes the idea of whether or not you know, I'm successful or not? I mean, that's so part of our nature as human beings. It's so part of our, our social context that we live in. Right? And then there's the piece about, and this is where it really gets gets challenging, is can I really be me to express what I think, see, and feel without people rejecting me for it? Yeah. I, I had this screaming flashback in that last piece, Edgar, that you were mentioning. And I think this is always such a struggle that my uh, father was a school bus mechanic. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't, uh, you know, he's given me my love of, of, of classic cars. Um, but I remember very vividly that my grandmother said to my father, we were there, said to my father, you know, someday you'll get a job where you can wear a suit. <laughs> and yeah, he didn't want to. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to. That's not who he was. He was he was smart enough to, but he was doing what he loved. Yeah. Yeah, and and that is so much of that. Um, the, when we think about what does it look like to live aligned, really, what does that look like, and how do you see it? How do you sense it? And that question, you know, shows up quite often, and that is. Um, can I make the choices to really be me and not, uh, and not worry so much about what the world around me thinks? Well, the bottom line on that is that we're always going to worry about the, what the world around us thinks, and that's why we're responding and we're re- we are reacting in the way that we do. Yeah. I, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier, Edgar, about whether the um, – whether the – the motivation, right? If we go back to the mm-hmm. uh, three fundamental motivations um, to be important or significant, right. to be competent or capable or, or to feel cared for and have uh, attention. Is that context dependent, your motivations? 
That's a really great question. Um, to a great degree, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, and context is what am I experiencing in the moment and, and, and what is my experience of the environment that I'm in? So context is my environment and how do I experience that? And I think it does. It evokes different emotional responses uh, based on how, how it is and, and what motivates us in the moment. So is it fitting in? Is it demonstrating my skills? And, you know, do I take control? Do I give control? Those are all different decisions that we're constantly making. I think one of the things to, to really recognize is that we are all are naturally motivated in different ways. We're all unique through the lens of what the makeup of our motivation is. And I think it's important to remember that because if I'm really going to be aligned, I need having an awareness of what that is 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 going to be of great service to me. And the reason I say that is if I'm aware of what motivates me at my core, then I'll know when I'm being triggered. I know when, when the fear shows up that I'm not going to get what I want, that I'm not going to feel fulfilled because I'm not going to get what I'm what I'm seeking. Mm-hmm. Jim, you have a question from the audience? Yeah, I think this one ties in actually kind of perfectly with what you guys are talking about right now. Um, so the question is, what's an easy way to tell if I'm working on someone else's expectations of me or my own? Yeah. I don't know, that's like a, a, a tail-eating snake argument in my head all the time. <laughs> Right. I mean, just kind of rolls over and over uh, trying to figure out which one's mine and which one's somebody else's. Yeah, I think there's a tension that shows up if if we're really being truthful to ourselves. I think there's a tension between those two and you feel it and you feel it. And you may I, I think one of the ways that it shows up is a resentment towards others. So I resent you for having that expectation of me. I can even blame you for putting me in this uncomfortable position that I'm in. <laughs> and really what's happening is the fear gets triggered. There's that natural tension or conflict between uh, my current state, desired state, and you're taking me to a future state that I don't like. Or you're making me go emotionally in a direction that feels uncomfortable. So I, I think the first part of that and I don't know if I'm answering the question well or not, so forgive me if I'm not, is the first place that we go to is to recognize when that tension occurs and we feel it, that we have that emotional response to it. And if somebody is, is that, if the expectation of you is out of alignment with what you're seeking for yourself, we know that pretty quickly. Are we conscious of it? Not always. Are we conscious of the emotional response to it. Not always. And I think that's part of the journey of alignment is to be aware in the moment when I feel that and then being able to, at a conscious level, to to be able to make some choices around that. And when it is an alignment, I think it goes the other way. We feel the alignment. We feel a sense of joy, satisfaction. The opportunity presents itself differently. It's much like in the thinking of, uh, when we're when we're in the flow, and we really feel like we're in the flow, is we're as we're as we're at work, uh, when we're doing art or music, whatever it is, and you find that flow. Uh, flow is another way, I believe, of looking at it, both from a psychological and emotional perspective. And now I'm in alignment. 
I, I get a sense, I feel when I'm in alignment. So You know, I think that's uh, professional objectivity is, is coming, right? I mean, we're supposed to, supposed to be some objectiveness to your professional lives that you don't have emotional response, right? I mean, I think that's the <laughs> expectation. and One of the big lies. Well, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, this is we don't we, be emotional about this. <laughs> Let's be non-emotional about this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I think that that is you know, uh, uh, emotion is part of you. Yeah, yeah. That that reaction determining whether or not that's a a, a fear of not being aligned or uh, a feeling of alignment. Yeah, Th- those are part of you. Yeah. It is. I was kind of smiling at you as as you were saying, you know the whole idea of let's let's be objective and i think one of the things that we fail to recognize very often and in a scientific lab it can it can certainly be much more objective than in a workplace <laughs> environment but a lot of times in a workplace environment what we do is we take data to satisfy the emotional need yeah and so what we do is we we kind of have this way of bringing together the quantitative and qualitative in this wonderful experience that we call life yeah <laughs> and work and um so that thought inter- it came to me, and then you come back to, well, I'll use the data or whatever to create some alignment around me. Or this is my verification, my proof, and uh, I think we have to be conscious of that as well. Is that the use of data the weapon against fear? Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, it goes back to this idea that if I have the data, what I can do is I um, can remove the doubt, or I can create an argument or present an argument that says that, uh, you know, I can get what I want, which is a way of, actually, in a way, we can create alignment <laughs> if we're if we're uh, crafty enough. Yeah, or pretend, pretend to create alignment, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's interesting, too. And it's, wow, you just opened up another door there. <laughs> which is uh, ever since we're little children, we can be taken out of our, we have a natural alignment as children and we let our imaginations guide us and lead us. I mean, that's just flat out, take take the fear out of it and you can see how that can happen and how uh, in our adulthood, as the as life becomes more sophisticated, the fear becomes more sophisticated. And then playing pretend has a whole nother meaning, doesn't it? Yeah. As children playing pretend is wonderful. I watch I watch Lori uh, play with our grandkids, and um, and she. I heard her say the other day to my to my two granddaughters. So, what pretend game do you want to play? And they actually started unpacking it. it if you could do that in an innovation lab with adults, <laughs> it's wonderment, and they just created a world. And the thing about Lori is she joined them in creating and being part of that world. And I was in awe. I was, I was just kind of like, holy cow. And I thought right away, I said, if people could work at solving problems like that at that level, where we could just manifest, you know, a sense of not being inhibited to discover. And then to think about how do we discover the real truth and we don't play pretend with data. I'm coming back to your comment. Yeah. So you... You look at it through that lens, and that's that could be some really powerful stuff. Because really, what what my what Lori did with the my granddaughters was she found the flow. Yeah, you know, it allows you that discovery. Yeah, 
Yes. I mean, there's, there's no boundaries on the discovery. No. Which, Edgar, you and I were talking earlier that that, you know, that's really one of the keys um, to living in an aligned way is mm-hmm. to not have boundaries on the discovery. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. That is. That, that's, a, that's a big piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. You've got a, Jim's got another audience question. Yeah. Yeah. That one just came in just right timing. Uh, everyone tells me it's all about the journey and not the destination. How do I know if I'm getting anywhere? <laughs> uh. Seeking alignment um, is the journey. And how do I know I'm getting anywhere? Because you're in it. You're in it. In other words, if you're conscious that you're in the journey of alignment, then the the de- the destinations unfold as you as you move. Um, and I and I would add, and you don't you don't have fear in that moment, right? You don't, right? You're in the you're in the discovery, but without the fear, mm-hmm. right? When you go back to your granddaughters and Lori having this pretend world. There was nothing, nothing to be afraid of. Yeah. And the other piece of it is we love the predictability. We just naturally love the predictability and the destination gives me a sense of that. And we're, when we're in a journey, we have a sense of our own alignment, what it is that we're seeking, and we're open and receptive to it showing up in different ways. I think sometimes when we try and make things overly predictable or have too much of a... Um, uh, a construct around what our destination, our definition of success is, we can actually miss the opportunity. So is that openness, is that openness really the openness to question asking about the opportunity? Yeah, the, uh, and we've talked about this as well, and it's worth, it's always worth coming back to in this idea of just being always curious and curious about the world means being curious about my relationship to the world and being curious about my, my own alignment, my own definitions of success. We, we like to say that alignment is the greatest predictor of success. And it's important to recognize that our definitions of success, whatever they are, they're, um, they're dyna- they are dynamic. They are dynamic. Yeah. And you can hear it too. Somebody will say to you, "Gee, I thought you were, you were trying to get this done," and say, "Yeah, that's before I, I knew. That's before I really understood, and that's before I explored the real possibilities." Yeah. Another one. Yeah, they're just right on point with you guys today. <laughs> um, so, speaking of being dynamic, how do you know? Uh, how do you know you are moving versus being stuck? You know, I. So, I mean, back to what you were saying before, I think the idea that you continue to ask questions, right? And I was going to make some joke in here about the constant voices in in your head. Um, I know they're definitely in my head, right? I mean, I'm constantly, uh, I think I've shared with you this, I don't even remember what the commercial was for, um, but the, the gentleman you know, there's a big desk and he's interviewing for this job and he's explaining why he's going to be valuable for this job. And he's, he keeps saying, well, Mr. Dumbass, I have these qualifications and I can do this. And the guy behind the desk goes, it's Dumas. <laughs> I, I would, that's, what, that's the internal voice I have in my head 
of asking questions <laughs> and exploring and not necessarily seeing getting what I expected, but the exploration part of it. Um, the question is, you know, how can I do this differently or better next time? And I think if you're on the journey, you're asking yourself those questions instead of entrenching in your answers. Uh, go ahead. I agree. And, th and that's where the, that's where the, uh, the fear piece shows up. It's, it's, um, I'm going to go back to the reference to childhood. <laughs> As children, we're not afraid to ask the questions. We don't have a fear about what we're going to get. As we progress through life, we begin to have a fear about asking the question because we're afraid of the answer. We're afraid of what we may discover. And, um, you know, it goes back to the line, uh, movie reference. Ready? You got one? I got one. I got one. Say, I got two ready to roll out here. Yeah, you can, you can handle the truth, <laughs> which, by the way, is an improv line. Yeah, I remember It's an improv line. The Nich Jack Nicholson, I don't even remember the name of the movie. You probably do. A few good men. A few good men. Yes. Yeah. He says, you can't handle the truth. Just, um, and it is, because if you're going to ask a question, including a question of yourself, you've got to be open to the truth. I don't think there's any better source of truth about oneself than the questions that explore alignment. Am I really being the person that I'm intended to be, that I, that I intend myself to be. And when we open up, when we begin asking questions, even if it's a question about something that we do not think is related to us, the bottom line is we're looking for an answer and we probably have a deep-seated expectation for what that answer is going to provide. And if we're able to understand what that motivation is, that deep-seated expectation, when we become conscious of it, then we can say, okay, I I got to know what I'm looking for. Do you know what? I might not get any part of that. The way things start out to play, you can often be deceived. And way, ways in which you're told the truth can't always be believed. It's not always in the cards you hold and those that you don't keep. It's not always in the path you chose or what it is you seek. And there's just no way of knowing what the next day have. has in store. You may get less discover. You want more. Ladies and gentlemen, Life. poetry of Edgar Papke. Life. He, he whips those off every once in a while. I'm amazed. He was looking for them on the computer, but they just come, they come to him so naturally. You were, you were talking it's about those. poor memory. <laughs> you, were, you were talking about a few good men reference. The, the movie references that were running to my mind were, um, and they're the, they're the same story, right? So 13 going on 30, and then the movie Big. Oh, Big. Right. I mean, big, right? The big swapperoo with the adult version and the child version, and the child's brain is now in the adult, and just exploring with wonder. Yeah, right. I mean, just just having an experience, and and really, I mean, we we think of children as not having questions, but that that wonder, that amazement, the let's see what happens, is is exactly the right kind of question asking. Um, 13 going on 30 is a female swap version. Um, oh yeah. Okay. Now I, yeah. Right. Um, when my girls were younger, that was one of their, one of their faves. Um, and you're going to ask me who's in it and I'm Jennifer Garner, maybe. Don't know. We got a nod in the audience that said you're accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, full participation. You know, Edgar, one of the, um, before you, before you go in it, 
I just the thought entered my mind is that how many how many of us and how many people have you seen the moment that they get to say I really surprised myself and what a wonderful moment that can be I really I surprised myself I did it I I I did it yeah that's such an interesting thing huh. as a dad you know the one thing I want for my daughters so much is to be confident enough about themselves to try something mm-hmm. and believe that the outcome will be okay. Yeah. And to try, when we talk about alignment to oneself, it almost speaks to the idea that we owe it to ourselves to just try. We owe it to ourselves to take the risk because we know deep down inside you can feel it the fear that, that, that um, you know, we question ourselves in the form of conflict. And that means there's a tension there. And if we recognize that tension, then what we can do is we, we, we then have the power of choice. So we can choose. And confidence, so much of what confidence really is, is it the ability to choose to take a risk. Confidence isn't as easy as, I know predictably I will succeed. Confidence is willing to take the risk to succeed, to take that step forward, to to venture into the, at times, the unknown. Sometimes hopes, aspirations, dreams um, lead us much more than data or having having quantitative means to understand what success can look like. You know, Edgar, you know, I've shared with you how much I love design thinking as a process. Uh-huh. And as, you know, some people will talk about design thinking as the, you know, the three questions on, the three questions that summarize, some people use to summarize a design thinking process is what is, mm-hmm. what if, yeah, and what wows. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, for me, those are the, I'm constantly asking myself questions Sometimes the questions are just simply, what's the right question? Because uh, I'm not sure what the question is. I, I know, you know in some of my own spiritual direction and trying to have conversations with, with God, I am always asking myself, what question am I asking? Is it the right question? And sometimes when I don't know, I go, I go back to the beginning of that mm-hmm. design process to say, what is? Here's what I'm experiencing. Here's what I'm seeing. So that I can get back to the what ifs question. Yeah. Yeah, and in alignment, uh, very often I come at it just like in the design process with a team or group. Sometimes the best question to ask is, what's missing? If I'm out of alignment, what's missing here? Yeah. And very often when it comes to who we are as human beings, um, when we discover the what's missing, that gives us the, the how. Yeah. How can I go about closing that gap? How can I... What's the how in attaining alignment? So, you know, we were working with a client and uh, we, were, we were talking about that what, why, and how, uh-huh. right? And I, I, I will tell you, I'm, I get to go see Simon Sinek give a keynote here at a conference at the end of the month, and I have so many questions for him. <laughs> <laughs> right, but famous, famous for the why, find your why, right? Yes. And, and you know, you and I do a lot of work around the um, – you know, of course, identify the why and then and then identify the what. And the work of alignment is really about the how. 
It is. And, and that's, that's a piece where um, the how is messy. Alignment work is messy because it's constant. Yeah, and, and in our individual lives, of course, in our relationships, and also in organizations and in business. And we'd like to say that the number one, not only is it the number one predictor of success, but alignment is also the conversation of business. It's the conversation of teams. It's the clarity of expectations. It's the clarity of how it is that we'll achieve and, and individually, collectively create success. That's that's the power of alignment in play at play, and um, yeah, it is. It more often than not, as we as you so uh, astutely say, what is it the uh, the what is is pretty easy. The why is a little bit more difficult, and the real the real challenge is is in the how. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. If you're a leader out there listening too, the context constantly changes, which is what makes the how more complex. Yep. Yeah, and so we need to. As, as as dynamic as the world is, we need to be dyna- be dynamic in how we how we're able to interpret it, understand it, and move through it. And you know, we like to call it agility, <laughs> and really, it, what it is 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 nature. It's the natural the natural means through which we move through life to get what we want. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Ken. <laughs> so I have one final question before yeah. we sign off. Yeah. So, Edgar, if it's so natural, why does it feel so personal? Because everything is personal. Oh, why does it feel so personal to not be natural, right? I mean, that's the, uh, that's the kicker. I mean, yeah. this is a normal, natural process. Mm-hmm. But why are we supposed to be alone in it? Why are we supposed to... As, as simple, uh, what immediately comes to mind is um, because confronting fear, um, it, it's, it's not easy because of the potential consequence that, that when we confront fear, then we're, we're confronting our misalignments. And when we confront fear, we, we seek the truth. And um, at the end of the day, and all, when you take a look at humankind and spiritual religious philosophy, at the end of the day, it's about acceptance. It's about self-acceptance. It's, a, it's about self-love. And when I confront my fear uh, in whatever form it takes, what I'm looking to do is take away the um, the constraints and the, the barriers, uh, the things that get in the way of, of getting there, of getting to that. Yeah, well, Edgar, you started on a serious note, you ended on a serious note. <laughs> a serious day. <laughs> Thanks to the questions from our audience today. Yeah. Um, they definitely make it more fun for us. Uh, yes, they do. So, as always... Questions, thoughts, comments uh, between podcasts and during are more than welcome. Um, so, I'm Edgar Papke. I'm Ken Sagendorf. Thanks for joining us on the True Alignment Podcast. Yeah, and we'll see you next time around. Thank you. <laughs>